It's that time of the week again. It's time for Chit Chat Across the Pond, episode number 465 for November 21st, 2016. And I'm your host, Allison Sheridan. This week, our guest is Bart Bouchatz, and we're back on the programming by Stealth Bandwagon. Aren't we, Bart? We are indeed. So two of me in a row, but I have different hats on, so it's okay. <laughs> it's getting very confusing, but it seems to work for us, right? Yeah, people are still listening, so it must be okay. I do have a treat for you that you don't know because I haven't finished it yet, but uh, Steve took the Taming the Terminal episode from uh, last week, and he topped and tailed it as Taming the Terminal, so it will go out and sound correct, except with a uh, a new host voice uh, announcing the two of us. Oh, I like that. He knew I didn't have time, but he thought it should be in the correct format, so he redid it for me and us. Well, thank you, Steve. Yeah. And hopefully I'll get around to actually posting it. That'd be even better, right? <laughs> well, I suppose that would help, yes. <laughs> All right, so what are we doing today? Okay, so because someone wanted more time on their homework, I've sort of in- invented uh, a holding topic. Well, not really a holding topic, more of a consolidation topic. So rather than learn a whole bunch of new stuff... Today is mostly going to be consolidating what we've already come across, but seeing it in a in a truly real world context. So over the weekend, I released an open source API on my GitHub page, uh, somewhat inspired by doing this series, but basically it was something I needed to do and I've been meaning to do for ages. And I didn't write it with the intention of it being used in the Programming by Stealth series. I wrote it as if I wasn't doing Programming by Stealth and was actually trying to solve the problem. So, so this is scratching an itch. real. It's scratching an itch and it's real. I didn't change my writing to dumb it down. I didn't change my JavaScript to stick to the subset of JavaScript we've covered in the series. I just wrote it. Hmm. And as it happens, in the entire library, there is one line of code which won't quite make sense to people who've been following along and taming the terminal. One. And that one line of code is not actually part of the core functionality of the library. It's part of a utility function for helping debug the library while developing it. So all the actual work we will understand, or at least can understand based on what we've done in the series. Okay. Which is reassuring because I wasn't limiting myself to that subset. And it turns out I've stayed in that subset. So I guess I've done okay at covering the basics. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, that's kind of cool. So an API, again, is an application programming programmable interface, something along that line? Application programming interface. In other words, it's a set of variables and functions that someone else has written for you to do something with. I mean, at the end of the day, all an API is is variables, functions, and perhaps some prototypes that other people get to use to do stuff. So in this case, the problem to be solved is twofold, um, but it all relates to links within web pages. So I have called the library bartificer.linktoolkit.js because I prefix all of my stuff with Bartificer to stop polluting the global namespace. Mm. And I figure link toolkit describes stuff I want to do with links. Could have called it link util, but I don't know, toolkit sounded more productive and proactive. So I went, I went with toolkit. Uh, the two problems to be solved are firstly... We, I want to automatically, without having to waste my time going back through literally decades of blog posts, automatically inject rel equals no opener into all links with a target of underscore blank. And for security reasons, we got yeah, we got sent something from somebody. I forget who it was. I wish I was better at the memory thing that said that without rel equals no opener, it can somebody can hijack it or what was that? Okay, so whenever one web page opens another web page, there's a relationship between the two. 
Okay. And the relationship is through a JavaScript object called opener. So the window that was opened contains an object called opener that's a reference to the window that opened it. Okay. Now, JavaScript is pretty good about locking down most of the features within opener if you're going outside the current domain. So you couldn't access most of the variables. You couldn't start doing alerts and stuff. But someone discovered that even though opener is almost completely locked down, it's not fully locked down by the way the browsers are working at the moment. And one of the things that the opening window still has the power to do is to navigate the, the, the tab that opened it to a new URL, which opens up very subtle type of phishing. So imagine you're on my blog or something. You're on my blog. You click on a link that takes you to, to, to a malicious site. I've linked to someone who's included an ad and the ad service lets something nasty sneak in. That's okay. a plausible scenario. I haven't intentionally sent you somewhere malicious. I've sent you somewhere innocent who's just using advertisements and one of those got compromised. Okay. Well, that nasty ad would then have the power to change the URL on the tab where you have come from to maybe a login page or something that looks really convincingly like uh, well, I guess Barpy.ie is a bad example, um, but nonetheless, I think the example given would be if you're on Twitter and you click on a link and you end up in a new tab, that new tab has the power to change the URL of the first tab so you could go to a page that looks like Twitter but isn't Twitter. Ah, and okay. that says, you've been logged out, enter your username and password here. Now, you were on Twitter. Now you have a Twitter-looking page that says you were logged out. How many people will notice the address bar? <laughs> None. Very Hardly few. Any. Right, right. Hardly any. Yeah, not okay. none, but very few. Right. And therefore, that's the danger. Now, with okay. Bartbeat.ie, it's not really a very strong danger, but as a point of principle, I think it's a good idea to lock it down. So when you say rel equals no opener, what you're telling the browser is, do not create the opener variable. It will never exist and therefore can never be abused by this okay. particular problem or any other problem in the future ever. It basically means, yes, I'm spawning this page, but I want nothing whatsoever to do with it. This tab and me have no relationship. Okay. All right. So it's a good thing to do. Yeah. And then the second problem I wanted to solve was just an aesthetic one. I have been meaning to for a, probably five years now. Um, I like it when I know whether or not clicking on a link will open it in a new tab or not. I like web pages that put a little icon after links that open in a new tab. I, I find that a pleasing thing to do. I find it looks like good. Polite. It makes it very clear. It's polite and it makes it clear that this is a link outside and this is a link on the same site. I like that. And so I wanted that functionality. And I figured, well, if I'm making stuff for dealing with links, this is dealing with links. So let's put them all together, call it a toolkit, and call it a day. Okay. So you can find the code on my GitHub page. So there's a link in the show notes. Oh, yeah. You can also see the library in action on BartB.ie. So the link in the show notes to this toolkit has mm -hmm. a little icon next to it, indicating the fact that it is going off to a different page and will open in a new tab, well, look at which that. it does. Right, off we right. go to GitHub. Now, we learned how to do both of these things by hand. Correct. But uh, yeah, the thing is, what you would like to be able to do is make the computer do the boring, repetitive tasks right. so you don't have to. So we don't want to put in the uh, little commands to call the JavaScript library or jQuery and all that, put it on every single page. We want to have it everywhere. Right. So what I did was I wrote the I wrote the JavaScript code, and then in my um, 
theme for WordPress, I included it. So if you do a view source on bartb.ie, which is a good place to start, actually. So depending on your browser, it will be in slightly different places. But I'm in Safari. So for me, it's uh, develop show oh, page I source. I've got to turn on developer tools on this new Mac. Shoot. Ah, uh, yet another, yet another problem with switching to new Mac. Yeah, show develop menu. There it is. I'm getting faster at this since I'm doing it every two weeks, right? <laughs> Well, that's good. Uh, show page source. There we go. That was pretty fast. Okay. So if you scroll through it down to line 281. <laughs> okay. The WordPress is not particularly concise. Uh-huh. Uh, because the, the, the head tag continues to line 311. Okay. My line 281 says vertical align text top. So we must not have the same. Oh. Okay, interesting. So Safari and Safari are not numbering the same. Oh, I'm logged in. You're not logged. No, you're logged no, in. No, I'm logged in. But you're not an admin on my WordPress, but I am an admin on my WordPress. Of course, That's we're not necessarily going to say identically enough. the same thing. And no one listening will be in the same place as either one of and us. And no one listening will be anywhere near the same place. Good point. Anyway, so what are we it starts with... looking for? Well, actually, if you do a search for Bartificer space link space toolkit, you will jump down and see a comment which says include and use Bartificer link toolkit. Artificer space link space toolkit. Not found. Mm-hmm. Artificer. Uh, like B-A-R- Artificer. E A R T I F I C E R space link space. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. Okay. You would find it if I hadn't typoed it. Um, just look for link space toolkit. <laughs> Wait, you misspelled your own thing? Yeah. Just seen that now. Okay, that's pretty funny. All right, so it says uh, include and use Bartificer Link Toolkit. Misspelled. Got it. Okay. okay. So the first thing, so my 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 code, rather than reinventing all the wheels, my code relies on jQuery and URI.js. Right. So the first things you will see is script tags to suck in jQuery and URI.js. Yes. Script type. Uh, oh, okay. There it is. jQuery, URI, and. And then I suck in my own library. Right, right, right. Okay, there it is. Got it. Okay. Then we define a an event handler for when the DOM becomes ready. So our dollar function. All right. And then I say add rel equals no opener to all links with a target of underscore blank on the entire page. So bartificer.linktoolkit.no opener fix. Okay. There we go. That's taken care of all of those. Then I want to externalize all external links in the content region. So on my theme, the sidebars and stuff are in their own divs. And then there's a div that contains all the stuff that's not the sidebars in the footer and the header. And that's called content middle. It has an ID of content middle. So I'm going to call a function called spartificer.linktoolkit.autoexternalize. And I'm going to say only do it inside content middle. Uh, icon external false. We'll see what that means later. And I'm going to say also consider bartb.ie and www.bartb.ie to be local. They're not bartbushas.ie, but pretend they are. So that's why if you uh, reference xkpastwd.net in the left sidebar, it would not have this little indicator that it was right. going to take you someplace else, even though that's right. not in your list of things that are considered local. Right, because it's not in the content middle. So yeah. it's just not even looked at. Okay. And I, I didn't want to go mucking up my side my side menu yeah. because then weird stuff would happen. Yeah, that so I, I wanted right. to. It's pretty obvious yeah. those are different things. Exactly. Yeah. So 
that's it, right? So, so from an API point of view, that's what you want, right? You want your APIs to be quick and easy to use. The whole point being that all the work is done inside the library. So all I got to tell you is if you want to do this on your site, copy and paste those lines and you're done, right? That's, that's kind of the point of a library. So hang on uh, one, one second, because I, I was thinking about the xcpsswd.net example. So it says uh, dollar content middle. Then it says inside the squiggly brackets, icon external false, ignore domain, barb.ie and www.barb.ie. Why does it say icon external false before? Okay, well, so that's a plain object. So that's a plain object with two keys, icon external false and ignore domains, which is an array. So icon external, if icon external is true, the icon will be after the link. Otherwise, it will be in the link. So where does the little JPEG go? Wait, Sorry, the little this PNG sounds like go. Does it... Icon external false sounds like there won't be an icon external. But that's not what it means. It's not what it means. Thankfully, there's documentation. Um, okay. So the, yeah, the, link, false link. Intru- the false untrue on that is whether it's inside the link or outside the link? Yes, and by okay. default, it okay. actually goes outside the link. Okay. Not entirely sure I like that default, but I've written it now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, and then underneath it, we just have some CSS. So we have a style tag. Mm-hmm. And so any icons I inject, I say in the documentation, which we'll come to in a moment, that it will inject into that image a class of Bartificer external link. Therefore, we can style it or we can style them. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want any borders. We want a margin of one pixel. We want a vertical alignment of text top. So in other words, it should go as high as the text. So depending on the font size, it will move up or down. Oh. And we'd like the height of our little icon to be 1EM. In other words, one, once the height of the letter E. Okay. Oh, is that Which what means EM means? Is the height of E? Sorry, no, it's the height of an M. Sorry. An M. <laughs> well, it was one or the other, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, sorry. And that's actually the width of an M. It's basically the size of your average letter is okay. really how you should think of it. Well, M's a it pretty happens- big letter, though. That might be, might be a big letter. Yeah, well, for whatever reason, M's were considered the unit of typography. Okay. I always thought it had to do with height, but it's it has to do with width, huh? Well, it depends, right? If I say... Oh, height 1EM, sure that. that would be height of M, yeah. probably. Okay. Yeah, so I want the height to be the width of an M. <laughs> basically, an M is basically square in, in yieldy typography. I'm assuming okay. it's an uppercase M. Okay, I'm probably digging into a detail nobody cares about. Well, it's sort of where the word comes from rather than its strict actual meaning in today's world. Yeah, it sort of means the the height of the other stuff that it's next to. It basically means the size of the font, yeah. Yeah. Which is okay. why depending the font size, it means it will always look right no matter what the font size is because otherwise you don't want a stupid big icon next to teeny tiny letters or a teeny tiny icon next to giant big letters. You do sort of want them unified. Yeah. And so that's just the easiest way to do it. Just say that, yeah, whatever height the letters are, make make this the same height. Okay. So height 1E. And that's that's all that's there is to it. Simple. So in order, it is pretty simple because, of course, all the work is contained within the library slash API, whatever word we'd like to use today. They're effectively synonymous. And the point is, it's easy for other people to include the library and then to get the functionality with minimal effort. So that's the point of these things. Right. So if we go to GitHub, we go to the GitHub page. Uh, ooh, wrong tab. There we go. Uh, The first thing you'll see is, so the way GitHub works is you see the actual files in the repository. We'll come to those in a bit. And then you have the readme.md, which is a markdown. It's another reason I love markdown. GitHub is all based on markdown. Well, not all, but GitHub uses markdown heavily. So the important thing is that there is documentation. Full documentation can be found at and a link. 
Now, of course, that full documentation is generated using our good friend JS Doc that we came across oh, last time. Oh, cool. So we can see um, a little bit more fleshed out. It's using a different theme to the default theme because I wanted one with a more detailed sidebar. And I want my sidebar on the left. Why the default JS doc theme has a sidebar on the right, I will never know. It's completely backwards in my mind. <laughs> okay. So I'll use a different theme. Oh, uh, so bibushots.github.io is a completely different, another completely different site. We've got GitHub, we're looking at your website, and now we're looking at github.io. So github.io is actually part of GitHub. So Git, well, GitHub okay. will publish the code in the folder called docs. So if you click into docs on the main GitHub page, you will see the source. But if you go to github.io, you'll see the page. Yeah, but yeah, GitHub, so GitHub is at github.com. The documentation is yep. at github.io. Yes, but it's auto-generated by GitHub, and it is, I didn't create this. Basically, GitHub takes whatever I put in the docs folder in my repository and makes it available on github.io. It, it, sort of it is a place GitHub gives you for your documentation. It's, okay. it's part of the service. It's, it's a GitHub There's thing. starting to be a lot of interesting stuff at .io. I haven't quite figured out. It's a out. good TLD, right? Well, it is a good TLD, but it seems to be just some really interesting stuff. That's where, where draw.io is. There's stuff Again, like that name. that's sort of un... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, that's it. it's a TLD that hasn't been heavily used because it's quite new. It's for the Indian Ocean, by the way, in case you were wondering. Oh, well, okay. then it's not quite new. I wonder if they just more recently became more liberal with it. The British either Indian way, it's Ocean one Territory. That should be bio, which would also be a really cool TLD. <laughs> Actually, it'd be biot. Yeah, that's cool. All right. <laughs> anyway. Okay. So you'll see that this is a little bit more fleshed out than what we did. So it says who the author is. We have the fact that there's a software license, BSD2 clause. And the sidebar has more detail because it actually lists every single function. Okay. Which is something that what the one we generated last time didn't have. So it says that the a collection of JavaScript functions for sanitizing links and HTML pages in various ways. This IPA API is entirely contained within the namespace bartificer.link toolkit. So let's click in there and see our detailed documentation. So you can navigate to specific functions in the sidebar. So the first function that we use in our example was, was no opener fix. So why don't we click on that and jump down and see what that is. Okay, hang on. I, I might have lost you. Okay, so in the sidebar, you see a list of all the functions. And one of the, the bottom one is no opener fix. Oh, okay. Okay. So if you click on that, it'll jump you to the right part oh, yeah. within the page. Okay. So it tells you that it expects two optional arguments, one called $container and one called $opts, which is short for options, and that it will return a number. So then we have okay. an English I, I'm getting a little bit lost. So when I clicked on no opener fix, it's a static no opener fix container right. opts number at the top, but then you started talking about something else. No, I didn't. That's exactly what I talked about. So $container is opt, means optional, and then opts is also optional. Okay, and those are the arguments to no opener fix? Correct. So you what can call no opener at the beginning mean? It Wait. means it's not part of a prototype. Okay. Never never seen that before. It's not a word I have used for you. Um, okay. It has. Okay. It is an important word, and it will become... We, we may get to the same. <laughs> yeah, it's not a vocabulary I've introduced you to. Okay. Um, it's vocabulary that will be meaningful. Basically, it's not part of a prototype. It's just a standalone function. Okay, so when I'm looking at no opener fix, it's describing what is what is this 
variable right. or function expecting to get? It and says, what, what is it going to give you? Precisely. So what goes okay. in and what comes out. And of course, then you have a lot of English to make that actually make sense. But again, at, at a very quick level, you can see there's two optional variables and out, out will come a number. How can both so of to, the arguments be optional? Uh, oh, very easy. If you pass undefined as the first argument, then you can pass the second argument. No, but can they so both be optional? Pass, right. Okay. So they're both optional. It means you can call it with no arguments, which is true. And if you want to pass a second argument, but not a first argument, you would pass undefined as the first argument. And then so whatever you I want. I don't to understand. Do. We're passing it a, a URL. How could it be not? Who says we're passing it a URL? We're adding the no opener thing to the URLs we find. Okay. We? So the container is where we should look. So if we actually read down to what, okay, so read down to the section, there's a table headed parameters, which actually tells you what these things Maybe mean. We so dollar, look at that. Okay. Yeah. So dollar container is of type jQuery object. It is optional. And the default value, if you don't specify it, is dollar document. In other words, oh, okay. the entire page. Okay. And so and that's then, where you called your middle area or whatever is your container, but it could be the entire mm -hmm. document. Could be the entire document. If you okay, don't specify okay. where the default is, and that's the what you should that that's basically the way all of these things will be. It's like what what the what we've called it, what it is, whether or not it's optional, and then what the default value is. If so there always will be a value. That that's what was bothering me was I thought they were both optional, there could be no value, and it's like, well, where's it looking? What's it doing with it? Okay. Exactly. So if you don't specify, it still does something. Okay. Right? But you're using the documentation to say what? So it says a jQuery object to confine the, ooh, typo, the functions effect. If passed, only links contained within the tags represented by the jQuery object will be examined and potentially altered by the function. And then opts is a plain object containing configuration information. And then there's actually documentation inside documentation. So let me see. Um, did, I don't think we actually passed the second argument in my example, did we? Because I didn't actually tinker with any of that. On the view source, I actually just called it straightforward. I just said content middle. Oh, actually, I called it with no arguments whatsoever. Look. I'm I not said no open or fix, yet, no but... arguments. Well, if, when, you, when we did the view source on bartb.ie, our call to no open or fix had no arguments whatsoever. So we took all the defaults. I thought you did tell it the container is the middle. That was for the second function, auto externalize. Remember, the oh, two function calls. First, we right, fixed all right. the openers. Okay. And we want to fix them all, right? We don't we don't want to be selective about that. Yeah, like, okay, oh. okay. I'm, I'm with you. So the default there was, and then we didn't actually pass any of these potential arguments, but you could say ignore local links. The default value there is true, by the way, so that we don't stick a no opener on links to ourselves. Because if you actually had something that genuinely used pop-ups for legitimate reasons, if we stuck in no opener, we would break those. So we're saying if it goes to ourself, the default is to leave it alone. We're not hacking ourselves. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm getting a little bit lost. Where, where are you in the documentation now? I am inside the documentation for opts. So opts is a plain object, which is optional. Wait, and wait we were... In... Well, we're finished with container. Sorry. Okay, so we're still in the same parameters box. We're looking at ops. Okay, type yes. claim object attributes optional. Mm -hmm. Opts? What? Mm -hmm. Opts for options. Okay. So it's just a little confusing to call it ops opt. That That's a little confusing for me, but I got you. 
So ops op means ops is optional. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> okay. Which you can see in the table much more clearly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's a plain object, and the things that you could potentially give it as keys are ignore local links, which it wants a Boolean. It's optional. The default value is true. So if you say nothing, we're going to say that, yeah, you do want to ignore local links. Okay. Because we do. Subdomains local is another Boolean. Whether or not subdomains of the current domain should be considered local. And that, to me, seems an entirely reasonable thing to do. If you're on podfeet.com, then www.podfeet.com should be considered local. So in your description, why don't you say... uh True means uh, true on ignore local links means don't ignore or do ignore local. Why do you give both choices? Because I can't really tell what what true means. So it says whether true or to whether ignore. or not. Okay, but it's called ignore local links. I thought that. Okay, I sort of thought that was obvious. Um, I, I'm perfectly yeah. I'm perfectly prepared to accept that English is not my strong suit. <laughs> I'm I'm just trying to think as I'm reading this. Ignore local local links. It expects an attribute, the, uh, but it's optional. If you don't give it one, it's true. I guess weather would mean uh, to ignore local links, true, is the default. Which is it correct. Would, yes. Okay. Let me see if I can follow the second one. So subdomains local, whether or not subdomains of the current domain should be considered local. So that's saying true would mean subdomains local should be considered local. I guess it makes yeah. sense. Okay. I just have to and, work harder. <laughs> really and then ignore domains is an array of strings, which is optional. And the default value is an empty array, which looks a bit silly, but... Yeah, just, you might just, want to put a space in between there. It looks like a little I don't tiny get box. The choice here. Oh, wow. I don't get the choice there. It's the syntax. Because if you uh, zoom all the way up, it is a completely full box. There's no gap between the two. Huh. Yep, that's the font. Wow. I'm tempted to... Um, tweak this theme actually but i didn't have time that's in js docs yeah that's okay. a whole other level if i've never been there okay uh, it does this function throws an error potentially an error is thrown if the first argument is present but not a jquery object in other words if you tell it to confine itself to something that's not a jquery object it has no idea what on earth to do and so it throws an error okay it returns the number of links that were altered mm. And then we have some examples of how to use the function. Okay. And that's and your example shows one is where you give it no arguments, and then one mm -hmm. is where you tell it main content, and then you've thrown a whole bunch of stuff in there, like you've got ignore local links false, you've got uh, no better fix undefined. Off. What does that mean? In other words, I want to pass a second argument, but not a first. You're asking, well, how do you have, I think you're asking at one stage, how do you pass a second optional argument without passing the first? Well, that's how. <laughs> I'd actually asked, how do you pass it none? But that is an interesting ah, case okay. as well. So you you have to tell it undefined in order to define the second one. Yeah, because otherwise, if you give it only one argument, it'll go, are you a jQuery object? Uh, well, you're not actually, therefore I'm going to be very cranky with you. Whereas what you actually meant was, yeah, I don't care about the first argument. I really want to tell you the options. So, so undefined, undefined in this case means I'm just not going to define it. Yeah. Okay. I'm not saying. I'm not saying. Do okay. whatever you want to do by default. And then the other function we call in our example is auto-externalize. Now, you may notice something that in the documentation, you can spell it either way. With a Z or a Z or an S. Oh, thank, thank heavens. Yes, we'll see in the code how that's done. It's really straightforward. 
Uh, if you go to the one with a Z, you just get a link saying, see the one with an S. Because I really didn't want to type everything twice. That would be silly. Where, where are you telling us this now? Okay, so in the sidebar, click on auto-externalize with a Z. Ah. And you will jump to a very short little snippet that says, an alias for with the one with an S. So click on that, and then you jump to the real documentation. So it says that you can spell it with a Z when you're putting the code in? Right. But I'm not documenting it twice. That's just silly. Because that means if I change my mind, I have to remember to change my mind in two places. And that's bad, bad practice. Okay, so the the different sections... Um... It's actually one giant big page. You're just jumping to different anchors within right. the page. I'm just trying to tell what the anchors are. Whenever it's a static, that's the beginning of another anchor? It is, yeah. Okay. That's the other thing I want to change in the theme. I want to have a giant big like arrow or something to show the start of a new section. Right, or even, even a horizontal rule would be nice. Something between those. Or a gap. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, because it just sort of jumps together. Okay, I see. All right. Okay, so if we go to auto-externalize, we'll see that it again expects container as the first argument. It's defaults to the whole document. And again, we have a plain object for our options as the second argument. So what we have is consistency across the API. Yeah. Which is important. Otherwise, you confuse people. So the first potential option we have is whether or not to add an icon. And the name for that is add icon, which is a Boolean, and the default is true. Ah, see, now you this one you wrote the way I would have thought it would be written is, if true, the icon image will be added after all altered links. That tells you yeah. what happens if true. I like that. Okay, I was too, yeah, I may rewrite the rest of the documentation in that style. I, I'm in two minds as to whether I like that or not. Yeah. Link, link classes is an optional list, uh, basically some optional CSS classes you want added to the link. Hmm. Maybe useful. Okay. Okay. Subdomains local is again a Boolean, whether or not we consider subdomains to be local. Ignore domains is again a list of domains to just skip over. Okay. Icon source is the source oh, to use for the icon. Yeah. And is that going to be that giant hexadecimal number thingy? By default it is, but you could just pass in a string that says podv.com forward slash myicon.png. Oh, it's your you choice. Could be, oh, yeah. okay. It can be or whatever goes in the SRC tag, which could be a big, long data URL, or it could just be a URL URL. So it's up That's to you. what I should do. I should have all my external links have little pod feet you click. That'll give people more <laughs> information. <laughs> you could put tiny little pod feet inside the square box with the arrow icon. <laughs> Three pixels. That'd be great. Three pixels of pod feet. Yeah. One dot then we have our, Yeah. Then we have our icon external which is the one we actually used in, in the code we saw on bartb.ie. It says, if true, the icon image will be added after the link with jQueries.after function. Otherwise, it will be added at the end of the link with jQueries.append function. Okay. Okay. Icon classes then are CSS classes to shove into the icon. Alt text is the alt text for the icon. Mm -hmm. And title text is the hover text for the icon. Again, they have sensible defaults. External link icon. Link opens in new window slash tab. Yay! So window so slash tab, that's a function of how someone has their browser set up? Yeah, exactly. I mean, technically speaking, it's actually opening in a new window, but most browsers now have a default setting that new windows open in new tabs. Okay. So the function you actually call is open the new window, which the browser interprets as, oh, you want a tab then. Okay. JavaScript has no concept of tabs. The JavaScript only thinks in terms of windows. Tabs are windows inside windows. Yeah. Okay. 
Uh, the only other thing I would think of here is on your, um, it, it was just lovely of you to give us externalize with a Z or without is to say uh, documentation is over it. The S version. It just says, well, go says see C. It. yeah, but that yeah. doesn't tell me I do the same thing and I'm allowed to spell it this way. Uh, okay. Well, actually that is within documentation. That is sort of a, that is a, a, that is a standard thing within APIs. If someone says C, that means, yeah, that's where the documentation is. I would have thought that this means you spelled it wrong. Go use the one with the S. I, I can tell it means that's where the documentation is, but my assumption would be, oh, he just put that so I knew to spell it with an S. Okay. Well, Either way, I would end up doing it right, though. <laughs> well, that's true. Well, yeah, you can use either. I mean, it does say it's an alias for, so you can just use the yeah. alias, right? Yeah. An alias is. Okay. Okay. Um, that's probably enough. Looking at the documentation, you can see that there are a few other functions there, uh, but they're all documented. Um, so I think we should actually look at the code. So mm -hmm. now we know what we're trying to do, and we know, you know, we we can look up stuff in the documentation, right? That so we've sort of seen sort of the how, right? This is similar documentation to what you would find on the jQuery website or what you'd find on the URI.js website. Slightly different theme, but it's all the same stuff, right? What arguments and what they mean. Mm -hmm. what functions and what they do. Yeah, I like those tables. Those are nice. They are very, yeah, I like them a lot. I wish the man so, pages looked like that. <laughs> well, they could be rewritten like that if someone were to take the time. Yeah. Okay, so on the main uh, GitHub page, you can either download all the, all the code as a zip file with the clone or download button, or you can just browse actually inside the GitHub web page, whichever you find most convenient. I'm just going to browse in the web page because I'm lazy. Okay. So how do we do that? Okay. So all of the code is actually contained inside a single file inside the folder called lib. Okay. Which is by convention. So bartofezer.linktoolkit.js is all of the code for this entire API. So it's the only file you actually need. All the rest is in there for housekeeping. So I click on that. So click into lib and then click into the file and, and it'll in open in a nice... Small tweaks, that's just your latest update. Would that's it... the, yeah, that's the comment on the latest update, yeah. Okay. Oh, look at that. So we have... For the moment, I'm going to not look at the doc comments. We'll get back to those. But for now, I just want to look at the actual JavaScript code. So the first bit of actual JavaScript code is, just says make sure the needed prerequisites are installed. So on line 25, it says, if type of jQuery not equal to function, throw a new error, jQuery is required but not loaded. Ah, uh, okay. So in other words, rather than having my code crash with a cryptic error when the first time it tries to use jQuery, I'm actually just testing for it and I'm going to throw a sane error to, you know, so that people have a bit of help. Mm-hmm. Then we do our little jiggery-pokery thing that we learned about last time, where we initialize our namespace by saying var bartificer equals bartificer question mark bartificer colon bracket bracket. I Looks dumb, but we know does. I forget. Okay, so we set the value of bartificer, and then the question mark colon syntax is the ternary operator. So the first part is evaluated to true or false. If it becomes true, then the value becomes the second part. Otherwise, the value becomes the third part. So if Bartificer exists, we set it to itself. Otherwise, we set it to an empty object. Is basically what that means. If I exist, leave me as I am. Otherwise, make me an empty object. Why is it Bartificer we're doing this with? Because that's the namespace I'm using for this API. So would I change that to Podfeet? If that's the namespace you were going to use, yeah. I don't know. 
How do I? What's I the name? What what name do you want to publish your stuff as? Oh, this is just uh, this is just publishing your stuff. This is, so if I were to use this, I would just copy it as it is and shove it into mine. I wouldn't change Bartificer to anything else. Sorry. Okay, if you're using the library, you're never going to see this code. You're just going to say script include the code. You're never going to look at it. Okay. Right? Well, right. Uh, sure. I didn't know I that. I mean, that's how you use the library. How often have you edited the content of jQuery? I haven't used a library on my own yet, Bart. Okay, well, I'm just saying, when we use jQuery, what do we do? We stick a script tag at the top of our page and we never think what's in there. Okay. I didn't know that's where we were. Just trying to okay. follow. Okay, sorry. Yeah, so this is the actual content. This is what's making the API go. This is the actual code. We would right? never so, be touching this normally, but we get to right. look at it because that's the way these things are done. Exactly, because the whole point of doing a case study is to see how it's done, right? And so if we've I wanted seen to the fork effect. it, I would copy this, change a few things, and republish, and link back to you and say, your awesomeness started this, and here's what I did with it. Absolutely. Okay, yes. guys. All right. I'm and in fact, now. because it's a very, very liberal BSD license, you wouldn't even have to. You just have but to not I, take I my name because I'm classy. Copy. Yeah. Okay. So I publish this API through my um, through my namespace. So I, I just all of my stuff I use the namespace Bartificer. It's just no one else is using it, so I'll use it. And so again, uh, it's bartificer.github.com or .io or uh, something. Or? No, it's bbushots. <laughs> not consistent. Okay. All right. Um. So, yeah, so this is this is the design pattern we looked at last time. Mm -hmm. So we say name of our namespace equals the name of our namespace question mark, the name of our namespace colon, squirrely bracket, squirrely bracket, using our friend the ternary operator. And then we have this whole self-executing anonymous function shenanigans, which is, again, copied from last time. Okay. So what that means is that from line 33 on, all of the code is not in the global namespace anymore. So anything we declare in here that doesn't start with the word Bartificer is private, which means we're not cluttering the namespace and it doesn't exist outside this anonymous function. Okay, but the first thing you did was put Bartificer inside. Of course, because we need to, we need to, le- we need to, ec- we need to publish out what we want to publish out and nothing more than we want to publish out. So we want to publish the Bartificer namespace. And so that's what we use to leak out the actual functionality of the API. Otherwise, the API would be completely useless if there was nothing okay. public. Okay, you right? said this was all going to be inside and not outside, but it is going to be outside. Right, it's, in, it's inside, so unless we prefix it with Bartificer, it doesn't come out. So we can explicitly let stuff out, but by default, if I say var x... It doesn't go out. Okay. It okay. doesn't go out. It only goes out if I say something. Okay. Right. So I'm using a namespace within a namespace, bartificer.linktoolkit.something. So we just initialize another namespace, bartificer.linktoolkit equals an empty object. And then I have a gigantic big comment on line 48, private variables and functions. I have a variable called underscore do debug, which I initialize to false. And as the comment above it says, it's a flag for holding the debug status. So when I'm working on this code, I wanted to write a whole bunch of stuff to the console so that I can see what it's at. Okay. Uh, But of course, when you're using the library, I don't want to pollute your console. That would be terrible. If every time you loaded a page, just because you use my library, you had like 50 
logs in your console that that make people really cranky. So the default value is false. Do you underscore, underscore do debug equals false? Yes. Yes. Then we have a function called underscore debug, and it says if we are debugging, basically do a full stack trace to the console. This is the one line that we do not understand. So back so up a step- little bit. You said var do debug is false, and then you turn around and say if debug, do debug. But didn't no. we just say it was false? Right. We've okay, but that doesn't mean to say that the variable can never be changed. I've I've initialized the variable to false, but if okay. I then All right. do right, something right, right, right. to make it not be false, then it ceases to be false. Okay. So the debug function just checks what's the current value of this flag. If the current value is not true, I do nothing. If the current value is true, then I'm going to go and do basically a stack trace to the console. So I'm not just printing a message, I'm actually printing a full stack trace. And the full stack shows, trace is what we don't know anything about. Yes. And we're also calling it in an unusual way by calling dot apply. Okay. Which we also have nothing about. And I'm not going to confuse the yeah, I'm not going to confuse the issue. What that does is it prints out a nice stack trace. What we'll is a stack trace? Uh, we shall perhaps see in a moment. But for now, basically, it, it prints out. It's not just here's an error. It's here's an error. And you called it on line four with this function. And that function is on line 12. And then that function is on line oh, 11. Oh, OK. So okay. it's the full, how the hell did I get here? The full, so this function called 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 this function and line numbers all the way down. So instead of you having to peel your way back, this is going to peel its way back for you. Got it. It okay. peels its way back for you, which is an absolute lifesaver when you're trying to fix a bug in your API that doesn't work yet. Okay. Remember, and the point of the debug function, is it's not for the end user. It's for me, the developer, or you, the developer who's editing the code to actually make it work. Because when you're writing code, you write it, you test it. Oh, sugar, it didn't do what I want. Okay, find the bug. Well, a stack trace is very helpful when trying to find the bug. And when you say it's the the developer, you're saying the developer of the API? Yes, the okay. person writing the API, not the person using the API. Okay, got you. All right. The person using the API sort of assumes you've done your homework. Okay. And by the time you publish it, you have, right? Yeah. Between the empty page and publishing, <laughs> much happens. Okay. Um, I have another, the next thing we have then on line 81 is another little helper function, which just checks if URI.js is loaded. Now, URI.js is needed for some functions, not for all functions. So instead of putting a test outside everything like we did for jQuery, I only run that test when I need to. So I've just defined it as a function that I can call as and when I want. Okay. So it's just called assert URI loaded. It's just a function that says if you're, yeah, basic stuff. Okay. Um, then we have a private variable called underscore external link icon, which is a horrible big data URL. Right. So that's just, I've got to have it in there somewhere, right? How else can I use it? So there we okay. go. Then we have an anonymous function, or not anonymous, a private function whose job it is to insert an icon into a link. And that function is needed lots of times. Therefore, we have it as a standalone thing that we call in different places. It's a private function, though. So var add underscore add icon to link, it's a function. It just says, basically, add an icon to a URL. Okay. Right, right. And we did pieces uh, of that before. And that looks familiar. Exactly. So this is all the jQuery stuff. So yeah. var dollar icon equals dollar img dot at her source dot at her alt dot at her title. Yeah. It's, 
it's all the stuff we've done before, exactly. Uh-huh. Uh, and then we have another private function called add rel no opener to link. Now, this is this one actually has a bit of work to it, and I'm going to look at this one in more detail. So the doc, the spec for HTML says that the no opener attribute can have multiple values separated by spaces. Oh, so it's possible that the 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 link that I need to stick a rel of no opener into already has a rel, and I don't want to stomp on it because that's probably really important. If the person didn't mean to put it there, why did they put it there? Yeah. Okay. So I actually want to do a test and say, is there an existing rel? So you'll see that the first line is, if not a.atter rel, then there's a comment, there is no rel attribute at all. So simply set it. That's the easy case. Mm-hmm. a.atter rel no opener. Link altered true. And then we have a debug statement saying, added rel attribute to $a. Great. Else, there already is wait, 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 a rel wait, wait, wait. attribute. Why'd you add a debug? What is that? So that means that when this function runs, it will print a message to the console saying, I've just added a rel attribute to this link. Okay. Okay, that's part of the debug just to let you know what's happening. Okay, that isn't causing something to happen. It's just causing it to print out what it did. Yes, as stack traces, as a stack trace. So in other words, it's going to print out that this this line and this line and this line called this line and it did this. Okay. Otherwise... The else is the hard part. (laughs) Otherwise, there already is a rel attribute. So first check if it already specifies no opener. Because if it already specifies no opener, hey, that's easy, right? We don't have to do anything. But if it doesn't, we do have to do something. So what we do, so the rule is it's space delimited. So we're going to split it apart using the split function of a string and -hmm. split it into an array, which I'm going to call rel parts. So in other words, if the rel was buggers space no opener, we now have an array that contains buggers and no opener. And the uh, values for uh, rel you said are separated by spaces? Yes, which is why the split has the argument of a space. I was expecting a dot for some reason. Okay, great. Yeah, yeah, no, the HTML spec says it's spaces. So that's what I did. I followed the spec. So then we loop through our parts. And we say, if the the part is equal to no opener, just leave. Return. The link is good. Skip it. We're done. Oh, okay. Right? The the job of this function is to stick in no opener. It has one. Good day. Okay. Uh, And notice that the debug comes before the return statement, not after. (laughs) <laughs> right because otherwise it would be a very pointless debug statement right if we make it to the end of this for loop without having returned from our function what does that mean that means there's something else in there it means that there yeah but it means crucially it means there is no no opener yeah there's something in there and it's not a no opener yeah so we got to make it have a no opener so i'm actually going to say stick on to the end of the parts array the string no opener and you use push to do that. I remember push. Yeah, so we shove it onto the back of the array. Okay. And then we say set the rel to that array joined together with the space as the separator. So rel parts.join. So you, after you've exploded it, now you just put it back together? Yeah. Okay. Then why does uh, it no say idea. link altered equals false? That looks awfully like a typo to me. Like it shouldn't be there? Yeah, I did alter the link. Yeah. Like it should be true. Huh. Because it defaults to false to line 143. I do believe you found a bug I need to fix. Ooh, yay. Here, I'm making a I list. Of, I'm making a list of stuff I'll, uh, with screenshots. I'll, uh, I'll grab that for you so you can keep going. Yay. I've been popping things into mail. That's uh, why every once in a while I lose track of what you say because I was working on one of these. <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, that's good. And now we just debug to say 
Oh. Yeah, that's... I copied and pasted too much code somewhere. So what What else is... Uh... Well, the debug is also garbage. Yeah, okay. Oh, no, it's not. Skip... What do you mean skipping? No, not skipping. skipping I added. Okay, I got an error. The first word okay. makes no sense there. I didn't <laughs> skip, but I did it. Yeah, okay. Okay, I'll fix that. All right, Anyway, got it. Okay, so then that's all the private functions. And then we actually have the definitions of the public stuff. So we have a function to enable or disable debugging. So how does, de- how does underscore de- do debug become true? Well, the answer is there's a function called debug, which you can either give no arguments and it will tell you whether or not you are debugging, or you can give it an argument and make it be debugging or not. So if you look at the example in the doc comment above, or actually, if you go back to the documentation, it's easier, nice and since it's nice and pretty printed. If you go to the documentation and click on debug in the side menu, okay, and it will tell you. <laughs> I kind of want to sing debug do debug. <laughs> so if you look at the example, you can get the debug status by saying bertofficer.linktoolkit.debug with no arguments, and then it'll either alert debug mode enabled or debug mode disabled. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then to enable debug mode, you call the same function and you give it an argument. True. Okay. Or you can disable debug mode by giving it an argument. False. Okay. And does it tell you where to shove that in? Well, you just call that as a line, right? Birdvisor.linktoolkit.debug true. Any old time. A, Any old place. Yeah, whenever you want to enable it, right? So you probably want to do that oh, before just you make it call. Or whatever. Okay, got you. Yeah, or in All the right. console or in your code, wherever you like. Okay. Okay, so go back to the code. Whoops. Too many windows, too many windows, too small screen. Um, so that's the public debug function. Is local URL is another handy little function. It just checks to see whether a URL is local. So that's what I made public because it's just bloody useful. I could have made it private, and then I realized that people might actually want to do this. So I made it a public function, and you'll recognize this code because it's the same stuff we were doing in our example. So we're saying, you know, is the URL a relative URL, if it is, then it's a relative, you know, then it's a local URL. We check the domains. It's actually, it's a slightly more detailed version because we have all of these options, right? Sometimes we want, we care about the subdomain. Sometimes we don't care about the subdomain. So it's full of if statements. Right. If ops.subdomain's local, because we're, because we have all these options, we have lots of if statements to tweak what the function does but fundamentally it's the same code we actually had in part 24 you know bart i will never write code like this when uh when my kids were little no when my kids were little we would take them to we'd have a a birthday party and we'd always have a conversation about well what kind of soda should we have well we could have coke no somebody's gonna not want caffeine somebody else is gonna want caffeine somebody's gonna want diet i'd go okay water Everybody gets water. So I'm not going to give them the choice of local domains. I'm going to just make decisions for them. They'll write it themselves. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just always yeah, about well, making it easier for me. Well, that's, I guess that's the difference in writing an API you plan to publish and writing code to scratch and to only scratch your own itch. Yeah. Or caring about other people's opinions. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. So to be honest, I'm going to stop going through this code because this is basically all stuff we've seen before. So it just does the jQuery type stuff we've done before. So what I want to look at now is the jQuery, is the, the, the JS doc stuff, because we've seen the output, right? We've seen the documentation. So how does that documentation get made is a valid question to ask. Yes? Yeah. I thought we learned how the documentation got made, No. 
Well, we 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 had a look at the basics, but we didn't see the cool table and stuff okay. last time. No, no. Uh... So yes, you're right. We have seen all the basics, but there's a little bit more here than what we've seen before. Cool. So pick a function. Uh, do you want to pick one, and I'll I'll we'll move to that. No opener fix. Sure. Sure, we'll do that one. Okay. So that means that the actual code is on line 348. And the documentation starts on line 303. Okay, sorry. Where? Start where? Uh, the line 303 is the start of the documentation. Uh, of the doc... Oh, okay. Of the comments inside .js. Correct. Okay. Yes, sorry. It's the start of the JS doc comment that becomes... That is transformed oh, into. Oh, so putting all that glop into the .js is what how it ends up over in the uh, GitHub.io documentation. Correct. Okay. There's yeah, there's a magic incantation to do, but this is where it comes oh, from. Look at that! Look at that! It's right there. Yeah. So again, anytime we want to have something marked as as uh, sort of uh, using a HTML code tag, it's a little backticks because that's Markdown, which you love so much. Wait, backticks where? Wait. So you'll see it says. It is good practice to set the rel attribute of all links that have a target of blank to no opener. I, I, I have no idea where you are. I'm on line, line 303, 303. And it says okay, to so, counteract a known security vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It's a good it's good practice to set the rel attribute, rel is in backticks, okay. of all links that have a target of underscore blank to no opener. Lots oh, of backticks. Oh, and that's why they're, okay, and you're saying the backticks on rel, that's what makes it be a light gray over in the theme of your dot, your uh, documentation. Right. It it okay. makes it be a, a fixed-width font, so oh, that's clearly marked as you. being, yeah. So I'll in this particular that later, theme, by the way, and pretend you never told me, because that's pretty subtle, okay. but that's cool. Yeah. Well, as I say, that is actually markdown syntax for the code tag. Caught myself liking something in Markdown. Yeah. So again, there's all the English we've seen is already there. So that's not the interesting stuff. Then we have an at param. So that's going to obviously define a row in our table. Oh, yeah. I noticed those were bright red and it's purple and all kinds of stuff. Looks all fancy. That's uh, that's how you're causing, calling the... So that yeah, so calls the, at, the entire table, just putting that at param at the beginning? Well, the theme makes a table out of all the parameters. So the at params define the parameters. So the first at param defines dollar $container. Uh, so as we learned last time, it's at param space inside squarely brackets, the type space, the name and or a default value space minus space the English. So if you look at the first hmm. row of the table, okay. you should see everything on that first row is there. On line 325. So jQuery object. Well, that's the type. jQuery object. Yes? Where did it get dollar? Wait, it's out of order, though. Dollar container is It is after... out of order. It, yeah, it's a different order. That's that. Okay, that's so dollar mm -hmm. container. Okay, there. Doc, wow. jQuery. Where's dollar container? Okay. No, there it is. Okay. Wow, that's hard to read. That'll be confusing. It is, well, it's hard to read. It's, it isn't, it isn't. So what you're so you say the name of the variable equals the default value and the square brackets means optional. So I, I think we learned that last time. So we're saying dollar container defaults to dollar document and the whole thing is optional, which translates into the table as wow. it's called dollar container, its type <laughs> is jQuery object, it is optional, and its default is dollar document. So obviously the output is way nicer than the input because, well, that's the point, right? 
Yeah, well, either one of them looks great on its own. It looks very efficient in the code and it looks really clean and beautiful in the documentation. But going back and forth between the two, it's like, what? <laughs> okay, I got you. Yeah, well, uh, while you're programming, you're in one mode, right? You're in the short and sweet mode. Sure, sure. And then you know what it's going to do, but you don't care that the container or the default is over to the right versus the left. Exactly, because actually at the time you're writing the code, you probably haven't even chosen a theme yet. Oh, so it could be, okay, all right. And you can change your mind on the theme 20 times without touching a line of code. That's fantastic. I like that. That's really cool, Bart. That is really, really neat. I like this. Yeah, well, uh, things are going to get neater. So the next thing is this whole jQuery object. That's not a standard type, right? The standard types are string, number, boolean, array, object jQuery object isn't a standard type, but look, it's a link. Oh, Oh, look, it takes us to a global type definition. I wonder where that came from. The answer is it came from me. Oh, really? It's going to come from a global type, but it seems to be taking its time. Oh. But I, I clicked on global a little earlier and it worked, but I am not getting through to that for some reason. Yeah, well, if you click on jQuery object, it should jump you it to jump. a... It's it should not. jump. It does for me. Yeah, Maybe it's, try it's, a I'm sure it's me. There you go. Just told it to stop and try again. So if you scroll all the way back up to line 19 of the source code, you'll see where that came from. Oh, okay. Whee! 19. jQuery. It's another JS doc comment, only oh. it has a tag we've never seen before called at type def. In other words, I am defining a type. And how did it know to put it over in global because it wasn't inside that namespace? Yes, type definitions are global, period. But, and by global, you mean not in the namespace? Yes. Okay. Because they're not actually in the code, right? They yeah. Are, yeah. They're a purely pseudo thing. Okay. Because there's no actual JavaScript code underneath those doc comments, right? They're just yeah. doc comments on their own. Yeah. Yeah. Useful, but you know. And so you can give a name to something, and then instead of typing the same English over and over and over again, you just say plain object, and then you know that there's a link there that takes people to an object created using blah blah or blah blah. jQuery's is plain object function is used to validate this data type. I could mm-hmm. type that every single time I had a plain object, which is in almost every function, or I can do a type def, and then it's just a clicky link, and I don't have to type the English ever again. Hmm. Why does it say? Type object, plain object, type object. Right. So oh, jQuery object is a type object and plain object is a type object. Again, a gap would be nice there. <laughs> now I can read it. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. There are two type defs. Yeah. 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 The, I, I, I want to edit the theme so it has HORs or spaces or something. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Because I have just pushed it all together. Okay. So I was on line 300 and something. 303. By the way, yes, this w- entire thing he's describing is 717 lines long, and at least two-thirds of that is these comments that then end up being the documentation. So it's really not that big. It's kilobytes right. in size, and it does something so powerful. Exactly. And the, the nice thing about writing your, your documentation as a JS doc comment is that you're documenting as you're writing the code, and the two are right next to each other. So you're never in any doubt. So when it comes to actually deciding to set a default value on something, you can just scroll up and see what you said it would be. Yeah, so you're not, it's not modal. You're not having to jump out, go over, look at something, come back. It's all right there. Exactly. So line cool. 353 actually deals with dollar container. 
and it's described at line 325 what it should be. And it says I should default it to dollar document. Okay, so on line 353, okay, actually line 356, we say if it doesn't exist, dollar container equals dollar document. Mm-hmm. Well, that maps exactly with the, with, with the documentation that's straight above it. So those two are nice and close together. And so your brain, because yeah. you don't write all the, all the comments and then write the code, you're doing both together. So mm-hmm. you start writing the function and you add another option. Well, you document it and write it. Okay. And it's right near it. And all, the, they can be, all these pieces are kind of dis, wait, discontinuitized. They're, they're not next to each other, but the documentation puts them all back together after you've uh, put them in with the code. That's really exactly. slick. Yes. Now, the next slick thing I want to show you. So we have a parameter called opts, which is a plain object containing configuration information, i.e. It's some options. Uh-huh. But it has a table inside a table. It sure does. Yeah. So how, how does that come about? Well, you'll notice that everything inside that table has its own at param. Only it says opts dot name of the inside thing. Wait, where, where should I be? What line line 329 is the first of them. All right, let's see. 329. I hope people are driving and trying to do this. This is fun. Oh, yeah, uh, this is going really well. <laughs> okay, so you said, param- so you've got another parameter. It says boolean ops.ignore local links equals true. Right, so ops dot means I am not a step, I am not a top level parameter. I am a oh. parameter inside ops. And oh, look, it's right above inside the table. Okay. Well, that's cool. Uh, and then one other little thing to draw your attention to, I don't think we've seen before. We say at param string open and square bracket, close square bracket. That says I want an array of strings. So Boolean means a Boolean string, square bracket, square bracket. It means an array of strings. Okay. Boolean square bracket, square bracket would mean an array of Booleans. I don't think we've seen that before. Okay. So I just mentioned it. And actually all the rest is stuff we've seen before. So we have our at throws, at returns, at example. We looked at all those last time. This is so you can cool. Yeah, so you can see how it hangs together, right? These are the pieces we've come across. And so this is all of the code working. But to make it an open source project, we've actually done a little bit more. There's some project management going on. So if you go back to the GitHub page, so yeah, go back to the root of the GitHub page. Okay. So so far we have looked at one file inside one folder, but right. all these other files exist too. What are they for? Docs and test, git ignore. License readme. So yeah, so these files are all sort of the scaffolding around a project. And actually, if you were making a library with a thousand files, or if you were making a library with one file, the scaffolding is actually around about the same size every time. Huh. Which is interesting. So you basically have a certain amount of background work to make it a nice package. And then you can have 20,000 files or one file inside that package. Huh. So I guess the percentage of overhead is very high on a small API. But, very but it's the same amount of overhead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the docs folder is automatically generated, and we'll look at how in a moment, based on those JS doc comments. So I didn't write any of the HTML in there. I just pushed a button and it spat out. <laughs> okay. well, I typed the command, but yeah, virtually pushed a button. So the lib folder we've looked at, that's where our actual code is. The test folder then contains an HTML file that I used when writing this software to actually test the sodding code. It's not sodding code. It's lovely code. It's lovely code, but goodness me, was it buggy before I wrote this test suite. <laughs> okay. So the most interesting thing you notice in the test suite is that it's full of t- bartificer toolkit.debug true statements. Yeah. 
right, right, right. Because I want to turn on debugging and then do this. Turn on debugging and then do this. If you feel like it, you can download the zip file and then this test page expects to be run from localhost. So it actually says it at the top there. This test page is designed to be served from localhost. If it's served from another domain, it will not work correctly. So you can play around with it later if you like. Uh, but basically the point is, I include in the actual project the test code I'm using because that way if I change something and my tests are still right here, I haven't lost them. They're part of the project. And if I were to write another function, I'd stick some more tests into this file. So um, you would download the zip file, uh, open this HTML file, and then it sh what should it do? Well, do you, okay, do you want to do it? It won't take long. So if sure, you click, we're, click we're getting a little long, but okay. Uh, download the zip file back at the main page? Yeah. So there's a big green button, clone or download, and then okay. when you click on that, you have two options, open in desktop or download zip. So let's download zip. Okay. Well, that took a long and time. Then, I was going to say, it's <laughs> tiny. Yeah. So extract that zip and drop it into your HDDocs folder. Yeah. Do you think my HDDocs thing is working on this new machine? Let's find out. Ooh. Oh, it might. Okay. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then go to localhost. Make sure your web server is started with your MAMP. Okay, hang on just a second. I and got then go to I have a cat host. problem. There a you go. cat problem? Oh, no. <laughs> no, just one walking on my when desk, stepping on, my, on things. Okay, let's see if MAMP works. That'll be a miracle. Haven't run it since I got this new Mac. Okay, well, it's asking for permission to do it. I bet it won't work. If it works, I rem think I remember this didn't work. Yeah, oh, well. I'm not going to be able to. Okay. It just pretends to start servers. I press okay, the button well, and nothing you, happens. It, when you get that working, what you'll find is that the test page actually just contains a bunch of buttons called test name of function, test name of function, test name of function. Oh, okay. And when you open up the console, you will see what it's doing. Oh, Okay. And so basically it contains a bunch of containers and each, so it's calling each function with a container. And it's basically saying, here's a bunch of links and I'm going to call fix now opener on those links. And then you can see whether or not it actually did what it's supposed to do by looking at the debug output. And in early stages of development, it didn't do what it was supposed to do in a lot of, <laughs> and now it does, which is why it's now published. Okay. So the point being, the test code is there for anyone who, who clones this repository and wants to edit it. They already have the test suite and it's there for me. In future, if I want to cheat, tweak something, I just tweak the test suite. So that that's, you know, it's a good idea to have your tests and with your you code. And if you tweak the code, you can test it again. Precisely. Yes. Regression testing, as it's called. Very important. <laughs> right. The other file then, the next file down is git ignore. Git ignore is simply a feature in git that tells it, when I'm actually working with this project for real, there's a whole bunch of temporary files you're going to get created. Don't stick those into Git. So Git ignore just lists all oh, those. So you're not constantly updating the repository. Yeah, exactly. And like, yeah. Do you so, create that file? Uh, no. Well, is it automatically? I edited it, but it was created for me by GitHub because GitHub rocks. When you say create me a new project on GitHub, it asks you, just as a matter of interest, what type of project is this? And I'll auto create you a Git ignore file. So I was like, this is a Node.js project. So make me one of those. And it did. Okay. The license then is pretty self-explanatory. If you click in there, oh look, it's the BSD two clause license. Nice. And it's it's just a license, right? That's it's very unexciting. Okay. The readme.md is actually the page you're looking at down below. 
it is actually, if you look at it, it's like, oh, look, it's exactly what's on yeah. the front page. Okay. All right. Jason, jsdoc.conf.json, that is the configuration file for generating our documents that end up in doc, in oh, docs. Okay. So this is the stuff we looked at last time. So it, if you look in there quickly, you'll see it says what source file to document, what options to use, what template to use. Um, so that dot slash node underscore module slash Manami, that's the theme file? That is the theme file. Okay. So where did that come from? We'll get to in a moment. It didn't arrive right. there by magic. It arrived there, but not by magic. Okay. And then, yeah, so it's basically, uh, most of it is what we saw last time with a few little extra options, like we're specifying a custom theme and we're telling it what files to document instead of passing those as a command line argument over and over and over again. We just said, yeah, yeah, that file. When I say document, I mean that one. It's okay. And then the last thing then is actually the package.json. This is, this is where the real magic happens to some extent. So last time around, we used node.js to get jsdoc. Yeah, right. we, we type the command npm space install minus minus save space js doc. Sounds familiar. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we are going to use this 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 package here is compa- is built around the idea of automating things using uh, j using um, ah, npm node package manager. Okay. And so the package that Jason tells npm what to do. So we can click in there and have a quick look. A lot of it is quite straightforward. Wait, so the, the name package.json tells npm what to do? Yes, it does. Okay. Now we're going to we're going to make it happen in a minute, right? Okay. So a lot of this is straightforward stuff. Name, the name of the library, version, the version number, description, some English. The scripts, this is interesting. So the scripts are actually the command line code to use to generate the documentation. Oh, look at that. Yeah. And there's a second one you've never seen before. So generate docs minus dev. Mm-hmm. So you will notice, or you, well, you didn't notice, I was rather hoping you would. Mm-hmm. I had JS doc comments on the private variables and on the private functions. Why would I do that? Um, the finished, because you want the finished comments for yourself? Exactly, they're from me. Okay. So there's two versions of the documentation. There's the public version, which is what you've seen, uh-huh. which only lists the public stuff. But if you run JS doc with the flag minus minus private, it will build separate documentation that includes all the private stuff. Ah. And it will save it to a folder called doc slash dev. So that's where my documentation is for when I'm writing the code. Or oh, if someone but forks But I didn't it. see that in the, in the folder structure. You, indeed, you did not, because that is in the git ignore file. So I will build it on my Mac. I will see the developer documentation. And when I publish the module, it won't be there. Oh, okay. But you can build that documentation too, because the command is built into this uh, package.json file. So if you would like to build that documentation, you can. Okay. And we'll walk through how in a moment. Uh, It also says that, yeah, this code is managed in Git. Here's the URL. Okay. It says I wrote it. It says the license. Mm Mm-hmm. Blah, 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 right? Um, And then it lists dev dependencies. In order to build, in order to to compile, well, it's not really compiling, in order to build the documentation, you need to install two packages, JSDoc and Minami, which is the theme. Right. And JSDoc of a particular version, or does that that caret mean 3.4.3 or above? That's exactly what it means. Ooh, look at me, guessing right. And it filled that in automatically. Because that is actually the current version of JS Doc. Okay. 
and the current version of Minami is 1.1.1. So it, it made it automatically, actually, because NPM is just very clever. So this file was actually built by NPM. So on this new machine of yours, do you have Node.js installed? Because otherwise, on, on the Mac you're now sitting at, do you have Node installed? How would I know that again? Uh, well, we went, it's the single package installer. Um, let me get you the URL for it, nodejs.org. Would I open a terminal to find out if I had that installed? Well, you could actually. If you open a terminal and type node and hit enter, if it says, mm, not then... found. Okay. So do you want to pause quickly and just quickly install this? Sure. It's a, it's a, it's a single PKG file, but I'm not sure the listeners, well, although you're, you're, Fancy Pants really fast SSD drive. It'll probably make it so quick. It'll just happen. <laughs> we should be able to be quick, but I'm going to pause now and we'll see whether Bart reminds me to unpause. And we're back and apparently Bart did remind me to uh, unpause. Good, good. Well, I hope so. Otherwise we're talking to ourselves. <laughs> Luckily you have a recording as well. Well, hopefully I won't need that. All right, I'm ready. Yeah, I've got Node okay. installed. So Node.js isn't so like you had last time before you got your shiny new really cool Mac. I'm not jealous of whatsoever, I promise. Um, <laughs> I used Touch ID while we were doing it. So he, I know, I'm, I'm very jealous of that. That actually I'm particularly jealous of because I believe in strong passwords and Touch ID is such a joy when you believe in strong passwords. Oh, yeah. uh, so I've asked Alison to change to the folder where she extracted the zip file she downloaded from GitHub. So... In order to get everything you need to create that developer documentation, all you have to do is type... Actually, before you do anything, just do an LS to see what's in that folder. I did. So I've got license okay. docs, lib, test, readme, docs, jsdocs.conf.json, and package.json. Perfect. So now I'd like you to type the command npm space install. npm install. Okay, so that's the node package manager. So what it is doing, it is going and looking at package.json and it's looking for the dependencies, which are listed as JSDoc and Minami. So oh, it's now installing right. those two. Oh, cool. So you didn't have to tell it what to install because I've told it in the package.json. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah. Okay, now, now if you do an LS, you'll see a new folder has been created called node underscore packages or something like Doesn't that. Doesn't it have to finish? Oh yeah, let it finish, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how to tell if it's finishing. It looks like there's a uh, black bar that seems to be going across very slowly inside of some double parentheses, maybe? Well, when it's done, you'll have your command prompt back. Okay. So you may have to vamp for a while. I don't know how to tell how far along yeah, it is. Usually not so slow. I'm wondering why it's being sluggish. I can't do it on this machine because I already have everything installed here. Yeah. So I wrote npm install, so it's got this, uh, looks like a square bracket thing, something, two double parentheses around this, what looks to be a progress bar, but it's not moving. Fetch metadata, metadata sill, map to register, uri, registry.npmjs.org, slash taffydb. Oh, this is your first time running npm, so it may be gone off to find the list of all the packages that exist in npm. Oh, actually, there is a little tiny, that's interesting, little tiny dots going around in a circle, in a, like a rectangle, like marching ants. Oh, okay. Well, let's pretend this was done. (laughs) Okay, well. Or I can pause the server again. Or the, the recording again. Maybe if you could pause the recording, because otherwise we can't do the, the final magic incantation. Okay, and they won't get to hear me squeal with delight. Yeah, okay. it's cool, right? We're building up to this. I want to the grand finale. Oh, uh, yeah. it just finished. Just oh, okay, it spit a bunch of glop on screen. Okay, here we are. 
ready okay. for squeal with so, delight. So all of the dependencies are now installed. So you can now, if you remember, if you look at that uh, package.json file again, we defined some functions for doing different things, including the function for creating the developer docs. Um, and we gave it a name. So if you look yes. in package.json, there's a script there. What did I call it? Generate doc, generate minus docs minus dev. Yes. So type npm space run space generate docs minus dev. Is generate docs one word? No. It, it copy paste exactly like it is in the, yeah. Well, so I'm generate sure minus what, doc um, minus dev. Is it space minus dev? No, just by so, so generate. Okay. Min, yeah. I think I got it. Ooh. So Wait, it nope, shouldn't take I don't long. Think it's happy with me. I wrote okay, something wrong. So I wrote npm space generate dash docs dash no, no, dev. npm space run space. Ah. So you're going to tell it what script to run and then you give it the name there. So generate minus docs minus dev all one word. All right. There it goes. All right. It thinks it's done. So now you should have a new folder <gasps> called do. docs minus dev. I do. So go in there and then double click on index.html. I do. This is exciting. Oh, look at that. Wait, All the like, private stuff is now oh, documented. This is the private stuff. Yeah, so now you can see both. You can see public oh. and private. So when I'm developing, this is what I'm looking at. So I can see all of the utility functions I've written that are secret. Are you especially good at documenting stuff? Writing I stuff am, for yourself? I am especially meticulous about it. Meticulous. My English okay. is terrible. Okay, right? but <laughs> <laughs> The quality of my documentation is poor from a English lit point of view. But from but a the beast. quantity of my documentation is good, and the technical <laughs> accuracy of my documentation is good. I see. Yeah. Wow. This is a lot of I stuff. Yeah. I started my programming career writing very little documentation, and I found myself constantly frustrating myself by doing that. So when you write enough code that needs to be maintained long term, you soon learn that you're not doing it for other people. It's for you. It's just future you. Future you. Future yeah. You will be very thankful that you did it. Yeah, so yeah, I am meticulous about my documentation. But there you go. So what I'm hoping I showed today is that A, the actual JavaScript to do this stuff, we actually understood that. Mm -hmm. B, JS doc is really cool and worth your effort. Mm -hmm. And C, when you actually publish a project for real, it is worth putting in the effort to do those little extra bits like making the package.json and those kind of things so that you can automate the process. So when I update the, the code and I want to create new documentation, I just write npm, npm space run generate minus docs, and then it will update the docs folder, and then I just submit that up to GitHub and the new docs are up. So you keep doing that submitting, what, once a day, once an hour? No, whenever I change the code. So if I change, so I've done a bunch of bug fixes. So I will rerun generate docs after we hang up this call and push that up to GitHub. And then the various typos that we're going to fix in the next, that you're going to send me in your inbox that you've been working on. Okay. I'll fix those. Then I'll run generate docs. So there's no point in running generate docs unless the, the, the code has changed. Right, right. So basically I'll fix the JavaScript file and then I'll run generate docs and then I'll sync the whole lot up to GitHub. Okay. Interesting. Okay. And this yeah. is this is a real world, right? This is I haven't dumbed this down. This is actually how I publish an API. This is all of it, soup to nuts, a full API. It's not the world's biggest API, but it is complete and it is real world undumbed down. Wow. This is and we understand almost all of it. 
Right. Now, it's, I'm not suggesting that you're all going to generate it from scratch without having to go RTFM, but <laughs> nonetheless, none of it was voodoo. Right, 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 right. It, it's uh, each piece of it, of the puzzle, was a piece that we understand, that we've seen before and, uh, and can understand. Wow. Nicely. And so that, that's, as I say, this is a filler episode, right? But just to sort of reinforce what we've already learned and to show you it in context, and the next time we're going to get back to learning new things because we still have loads more cool things to do together. But nonetheless, what we've done so far is already enough to do cool stuff. And I should really find that person who told us about Rel No Opener and send this to them and say, here, send this along with pe- to people. Yeah. Now check my inbox too. Yeah, because I think I, I forwarded it to you. So it's in there somewhere. Cool. Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, it sounds like Skype has decided to... Sounds like Skype has decided to start breaking us up and getting us uh, chopped up. So I'm going to actually take a pause here and let you say uh, say your goodbyes. Okay, well, we're pretty much done. So until next time, happy computing. But wait, there's more. Bart has one last comment. Yeah, so I made a whole big deal about asking you last time. Will the show go out before or after Thanksgiving? And will I get to be on again before or after Thanksgiving? Because I want to wish people a happy Thanksgiving. And then I didn't wish people a happy Thanksgiving because Skype went all (laughs) boo-boo. So So what do you have to say, Bart? What What are you trying to say to us? To those of you in America who celebrate the Feast of Thanksgiving, I hope you have a fantastic day. Lots of fun with family and friends. And, you know, just have a great time, basically. That's what I want to say. How nice is that? All right, Bart, we'll talk to you again soon. Okie dokie. Until then, happy computing again. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Chit Chat Across the Pond. We are now supported by Patreon. So if you go over to podfeet.com slash Patreon, you can pledge your support to the show in weekly installments. If you don't have money to spare, I understand that. And it would be great if you used our Amazon affiliate links when you buy things on Amazon anyway, and a little bit of money goes to help the show. I love feedback, so please send me email at allison at podfeed.com. And you can join in our Facebook group over at podfeed.com slash Facebook and our community at podfeed.com slash Google+. Thanks for listening and stay subscribed.